Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. So the AMA process, I think, is in the meantime quite clear. I mean, we have had already different episodes also in that podcast series. But another kind of um, interesting pathway is obviously just to listen and see which and what different stakeholders think about not only the success, but also how they felt um, when they were potentially in the process. Today, we also speak with Professor Dr. Hammerschmidt, who has had also the experience beforehand in the industry. So that would also mean that we would um, speak not only from an academics perspective, but also from a real life side, let's say, because Professor Hammerschmidt was not only submitting an H uh, dossier, an HDA dossier, you could maybe call it, into the system, but also was taking part in a price negotiation. So let's see how he was basically reacting to one of the most recent um, AMNOC reports. And we're speaking about the AMNOC report 2020 um, and uh, how he's maybe bringing that together also from his scientific perspective. Just very briefly, who is maybe not absolutely an expert on AMNOC, AMNOC is the market access reimbursement process for uh, new drugs in Germany. In a nutshell, uh, healthcare companies need to submit then a dossier, uh, which is quite heavy dossier focusing on the medical benefit to the so-called GBA, which is a joint federal committee, the ultimate decision maker in the German healthcare context. Um, at the time of launch, this dossier needs to be ready and at the GBA. The launch is being defined when the product price is being made available in Germany. Then there's a very clear kind of process. After three months, there's a a preliminary benefit assessment available by the GBA sometimes and most of the time it's also being done by the so-called ICWIC, which is then the evaluation body in Germany after three months um, uh, you, the company has done the preliminary benefit assessment in a written statement procedure is followed where everybody's basically invited who is affected by that decision to submit such a written statement and whoever has submitted such a written statement could then also participate in the so-called oral hearing. After that oral hearing, the GBA is again coming together in an internal um, non-public um, committee meeting and finally deciding also on the added benefit um, assessment. If there's a positive added benefit, the product could again then go into the price negotiation, which is following uh, from month six towards month 12 as of let's say the time before the elections in Germany in 2021 there was this, especially also still a free pricing from the launch day until the 12th month after launch and if there's no kind of agreement within the price negotiation there might even be an arbitration board all of those various aspects are also available um, now or in the future and various episodes so also listen to that and now just let's go back to professor Hammerschmidt and just see how he sees the AMNOC in the last years. 
So perfect. Good morning, and thank you, Thomas, Professor Hamashmit, uh, for mm-hmm. taking the discussions. I mean, today I think the key topic is, as already said, ten uh, years Amnok. Amnok was introduced. A big change, I think, at that time, not only for the German environment, but I would even say for the European market access environment. Um, so let's just see where we can as well take maybe even some learnings for the future, or maybe even some kind of further improvements for the future. Yeah. But as a kind of start, could you summarize from your perspective, because I know that you have had um, also, besides the science background, uh, what you now have, also time spent in the industry. So what is the key difference between the pre and post Amnok time from your perspective? Yeah, good morning, Stefan. Um, so, yeah, I, I was just in the industry in the time uh, when the AMNOC started. And um, in 2009, when the uh, Minister of Health introduced that we want to break the price monopoly of pharmaceutical companies, um, I became in charge um, um, to, to lead the project to set up all the processes and so on. And I was involved uh, um, also in the in the first few um, dossiers of my company with with a lot of different experience, very good one, very bad one. Um, yeah, what is the key difference? What changed? So, um, first of all, there's one thing which has not changed, and that's extremely important because I, I sometimes get questions. So, is, will this product be reimbursed? And the question of reimbursement was never a question in Germany. Uh, all prescription drugs, with very few exemptions, like lifestyle drugs on erectile dysfunction or something like that, all prescription drugs are reimbursed from their launch onwards. And the AMNOC is not about reimbursement, and the change was not on the reimbursement status, it was only on the price and the way we find a price. And the key difference is, before AMNOC, until 2010, the companies were able to set a price freely and the sickness funds had to pay the price that was asked for. There was no discussion about that. And we didn't have the possibility to really control this price, to regulate this price in the very beginning, only in the the long term, when generics come to market in the substance class, fixed reference price could deal with that. And regulation was at the end of the life cycle of a drug. And the reason for Amnok was that uh, the new drugs became more and more expensive. Uh, The specialty drugs in cancer, multiple sclerosis, uh, rheumatology, uh, were driving the costs uh, for the sickness funds. And so this needed to be regulated. And the major difference is that now, uh, after Amnok, you as a company cannot set your price as you wish you would like to do, um, but you have to negotiate a price. To be precise, at launch, you can ask for each uh, each price. Uh, and during the first year, this price is paid. So we have free pricing during the t- first 12 months after launch of a new innovative product. Uh, but after one year, um, we run through a process that um, uh, results in a reimbursement price and which is considerably lower than the price at launch. So um, that, that's that's the main thing. And so we change from free pricing to value-based pricing 
And this was a major change to the German industry, to the European market access uh, field, but also to, to the industry all over the world, because now Germany, which is the uh, fourth biggest market in the world, became um, um, a market which uh, regulates price of new drugs. And uh, this is also impact on the US-based companies uh, and the headquarters there. And so it was a process over the years to deal with uh, the, the AMNOC and to change the mind in order to, to uh, make clinical studies and that they can comply with the requirements of the AMNOC and the um, benefit assessment in this value-based pricing process. A few companies said, well, it was paradise before AMNOC and said AMNOC was um, yeah, expulsion from paradise. I think that's, that's not, um, not quite right. Uh, it was not paradise before. You had to work, of course. There was competition, so it, it's not paradise itself, but it was a very free situation. Uh, and now we are not banished because reimbursement of any drug at the price which is negotiated is something which is um, not very common all over Europe, all over the world, uh, when you look how other countries regulate pharmaceutical prices. Exactly. I think that was a, that was a good one. I mean, you mentioned the buzzword value-based pricing, which is also sometimes, let's say, defined or interpreted in different ways. I mean, if we think um, basically um, into the kind of uh, um, yeah, countries like UK or so, I think they have another definition of value-based pricing. Could you quickly explain what you see as value-based pricing in the German context? Well, the German context um, is, is different than, than many others. Uh, we are among the, the very few countries who do not look at cost-effectiveness analysis during the uh, valuation process. So, Uh, the way we define value is uh, an added patient-relevant clinical benefit over another therapy. And, and that's all. And then we say, well, this product has for the patients uh, a an, an high or a low added benefit or no added benefit versus a comparator. And that's the way we define value. And we need to find a price in the price negotiations uh, of the head association of the sickness funds and the pharmaceutical company um, to reflect this added benefit adequately within the price setting uh, in this indication. Uh, and so it is a kind of value-based price because value is the major driver in the in the negotiation, but it's not the only one. We also look at European prices in the price negotiation. We also look at the price level within the indication. So we stick to, to the environment of the drug, uh, but the major uh, impact on in the price negotiation is the added benefit level, uh, which is assigned to the drug by the Federal Joint Committee, the GBA, as we call it in Germany. Yeah, perfect. I think that that was important. I think especially if maybe one has maybe other countries as well in mind. Um, nice summary on pre and post AMNOC time. Um, what is your, from your perspective, what is the big success of the AMNOC process? Maybe also from the different perspectives, maybe from the industry, but if you would as well think from a payer's perspective, insurances, um, a head association, GBA, what are there, the different kind of biggest successes would you see? Well, my impression and what I hear from, from talks to, uh, to companies uh, or to payers 
uh, is very much in line with, just, with a survey which was published last year in the, in the annual AMNOC report, uh, um, which is, is published by a uh, German Sickness Fund uh, together with uh, uh, researchers from Bielefeld University. And um, it, it's very much in line. So I think that's very favorable to, to look at, the, at this data. And um, I think the biggest success um, is that we have established against all the um, all the efforts to to not have such kind of, of uh, price finding and, and value assessment uh, by the industry that we have an accepted um, process here. So. Um, the participant of the survey, which was mainly payers, only a few uh, persons from the industry, they graded, they had a school grade, and it was uh, in, the, in the American context a B, uh, so it's not an F, not failed, and it's really uh, seen as, as good by most, and this was really good. So uh, I think that that's very important that the process, which had some uh, difficulties in the beginning, um, uh, is now established and everybody say, well, overall, we are fine with that. Um, I think another success is transparency. Transparency about um, the evidence base of the clinical uh, data, uh, which is now made um, much more transparent to physicians, to the public. Um, the benefit is clearly defined. Um, um, I think the process is very transparent. So if, if you look into the process, it's, it's clear what, what will happen and what you have to do and what you uh, do not need to know. And uh, the reimbursement price is also uh, publicly available. Uh, so there's a lot of transparency and that's very much welcomed by uh, the stakeholders in, in the survey. Um, other big successes are that it's a very fast one. So we do not uh, need uh, years to, to have an evaluation. We have a six month period when we finish as uh, a process of evaluation. Um, so that's much faster than regulatory authorities who need more than a year to come to uh, regulatory approval. Um, it's usually said to be a very fair um, um, process. That's also a success so that everyone say, well, we can plan. Um, it's predictable. The rules are clear and we can comply to them and then we can get some expected results. So that's also something good. And it's uh, scientifically based. So uh, there's a good scientific basis uh, overall. Um, final success probably it generates savings. So you start with the price and then you uh, negotiate a reduction of the price. And um, this price reduction amounts in the last years to three and a half billion euro. So um, if you compare this to the sales you would have without the AMNOC, this would be 16 million. So it's something like 20 to 25% savings which are generated and this is also good for the healthcare system and um, on the other hand I haven't heard that a pharmaceutical company um, is no longer able to pay their, uh, <laughs> their employees and that they ultimately profits so I think it's a fair 
um, finding of a price which uh, gives both sides, the healthcare system and the companies, room to um, make their jobs and to to live and and survive. So yeah. These are the major successes of the Hamlet. Okay. Yeah. I. I... I agree. I think with most of it. I mean, I could also be a bit provocative, right? I mean, especially yeah, when we when we discuss about the savings. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I personally think, for sure, I think we might have had basically a kind of let's say frame and a kind of threshold for let's say the maximum prices because I think that's probably not on the individual drug price, but I think on 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 average overall. Uh, drugs. I think that's, um, I think, something where I would probably as well agree. But I mean, if I would, let's say, take simple, let's say, game theory, folks, backward induction, etc. It's a question if companies are not foreseeing, obviously, those kind of price rebates and discounts, and that those 20 to 25%, you as well as well just referred back, is really anyway, potentially included in the launch price. Hence, at the end of the day, that's basically a null sum kind of game. What do you think about that? I think I think that's that's right. Um, um, of course, you you have an incentive to set a higher price if, and to to look at the negotiated price as the as the, your target price, and uh, think about how much do I have to uh, charge in at launch uh, to end there. Um, I think that's true with with a lot of. Um, um, of the regulations, if you think about the mandatory rebates companies have to give in, uh, in Germany, uh, it's it's the same. We have there in the generic industries, you have to pay a ten percent rebate um, on on your price, and you can then lower your price, and then you don't have to pay the rebate. And we see that the companies really do that, so they lower the price, and, and they, are, they they can. Um, a step away from the rebate. So this is true. But on the other hand, the negotiation also focuses on um, on, the, on the added benefit. And um, therefore, uh, I think it's not 100% true. And I haven't seen in the end really um, good scientific studies to say, well, there is clearly a uh, higher price at launch due to the unknowns. This has not proven. I think that's that's right, and, and the logical thinking and game theory give arguments for that. But in the end, we cannot say, well, is this really 200%, 50%, or only 10% true? I think that, that cannot be said. But overall, um, um, we see that the price or the, the expenditure for pharmaceutical products is... Um, is growing on a on a rate uh, which uh, is not um, too high and can be explained by increased demand for drugs and, and overall inflation um, and, and the MNOC savings, if they are savings, uh, contribute to that. That we have a very sustainable um, growth of the pharmaceutical expenditure in Germany. Yeah, perfect. Okay, um, changing a bit the gears. Um, if you think about the kind of submissions to the GBA, also within the process, I mean, what you have heard, maybe you have been as well involved early days, I mean, you have as well mentioned already some kind of, let's call it problems um, from both sides, I would say. Um, what are your best practice or worst practice examples potentially 
when thinking about the AMNOC, I would say cases. Yeah, I, I thought about this question before. Are there really uh, some best practice use cases uh, we can mention here? And I think um, that's probably um, um, not helpful to go into detail of, of single individual things. So I step away from the cases and, and, and provide more um, an overview on, on what is good practice and, and best practice. And uh, a lot of country, uh, a lot of companies uh, struggled with it in the beginning because the process was new, the rules were new. Um, and this evolved over time. Also some uh, companies uh, even today ignore some of the, of the things I like to mention in the, in the next uh, few minutes. Um, so there are some aspects to consider, and if you consider this uh, and your product has benefit, then you can go through the process and get an adequate uh, uh, decision of the GBA on your added benefit. And the first is you have to know the formal process, and the formal process doesn't start with the dossier submission. It can start very, very early. Uh, with a consultation, which is optional, but uh, I recommend every company to go to the GBA and and uh, uh, have the opportunity of this consultation that can be done together with the Bay Farm or the PI, the two regulatory authorities. And you can ask uh, a lot of, of um, uh, important questions for the process. And the most important question is, what is the comparator? So. Uh, as a company, what should I show to the GBA data against which comparator? And this comparator is key. If you don't comply with the comparator and if you ignore it, you will fail in the process and you have no added benefit. And we haven't mentioned so far, no added benefit means you cannot have a higher price than this comparator. So and if this comparator is generic, you get some problems because your price is on the generic level. So this is extremely key and it's important to ask early before you start your phase three studies, uh, what is the uh, appropriate comparator therapy as it is defined by the GBA. Uh, important to know, you cannot discuss, you cannot have a conversation about it. So this is set by the GBA, but you have to know and therefore it's important to go there. The second key point in, in any GBA um, process is here in the AMLOC is uh, the endpoints. If you design your phase three study or studies, look at the endpoints. Uh, the law, the AMLOC clearly says patient relevant endpoints have to be used to show added benefit. And there's a difference to the regulatory approval where you can have surrogate endpoints like blood pressure, if you have hypertension or progression-free survival in some cancer uh, um, indications. Um, this surrogate endpoints, which do not really have a clear connection or correlation with um, what the patient feels as the morbidity, the symptoms, it's the quality of life or the mortality. All the surrogate endpoints are not considered only or only in a, in a very few cases uh, if you can say well there's a clear correlation and the surrogate is really telling something about quality of life or on morbidity or mortality but it's very rare 
Um, so focus on endpoints which show mortality aspects, morbidity aspects, symptom-based and not laboratory or radiographic-based for the uh, health-related quality of life. All other endpoints are irrelevant. Um, sometimes gets the question is, is uh, patient satisfaction important? No, it's not. Also, it's patient relevant probably, but it's not related really to the um, to the uh, symptom reductions or morbidity reduction. It can be something which is to do with um, the, the, the kind you take the drug. And we don't pay in the germ system for um, for less invasive uh, uh, ways to, to, to take a drug. So we pay for the outcome. And that's, that's important. So this is the formal process. Take the consultation, comply with the appropriate comparator therapy and choose the right endpoints and do it then on a, on a right way. So comply with all the things you have in clinical trials, um, measurement should be fine. Try to have an unbiased study. If you have a chronic disease, don't have an observation period of only four or 16 weeks, uh, half a year's minimum to, to, to see some impact. So these are things to consider. And if you consider this in the study design, then you have a good chance to have a good at benefit uh, outcome in the end. Besides this formal process, um, there's, of course, informal ways to interact with the GBA. GBA consists of persons from uh, different institutions, and you can have an open discussion with many of, uh, of these uh, persons in the GBA or in the drug committee of the GBA to discuss strengths and the weakness. And um, an important aspect is here to for companies to step away from the typical marketing attitude. As a marketing manager, as a product manager, you have to sell your product and it's the best product in the field. So like your child is the, the best and, and so on. And you have to, to step back because it's really scientifically based and, uh, and not marketing basis evaluation. Uh, so you have to look at your data Look what is good in this data, what are strengths, but what are the weaknesses? And you have to be very sincere about this uh, pros and cons for some kind of benefit uh, and to balance it right out. And that's extremely important to have the attitude. Um, we cannot go there with a marketing attitude and say, well, this is the best product in the world. You get a fair assessment. And this fair assessment looks also on the negative aspects of your, of your drug. And I think that's extremely important to, to really see that it's not uh, the marketing perspective which has to be taken. This is scientific, uh, taking everything into account, pros and cons. Yeah, I think that was really, I think, a very good kind of best practice. I think uh, to really take that step back and really think of your product from a scientific basis. And that starts with, as you said, with the early kind of consultation down to the point when you discuss it, that you really discuss it on a scientific basis, which also means, uh, let's say, taking the, the the kind of good things, but also the ugly things into account and then discuss it, let's say, without emotions and based on data. I think that was a very good kind of summary, I think, for best practice, I agree. Um, so if you would think about potential improvements 
within the AMNOC process. What would it be if a health politician would ask you, how could the AMNOC process be further improved, whether it might be maybe more relaxed or maybe even a bit uh, tighter? I think uh, that's maybe different kind of ideas, right? But just when you think about the process, where would you see improvements? Yeah, let's, let's start with it. Uh, there, there are always complaints that duck drug prices uh, increase over time. And you can look into the data and see the average price of a drug uh, increases over the years, despite AMNOC and say, well, AMNOC was, at first sight, it was very much on cost containment. The impression is now it's more value-based pricing and less con cost containment. So, but but prices are rising. So, um, and, and therefore the question is, what can we do against this trend? And um, the answer is, 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 I think, twofold. Um, the first thing is stock prices increase because you look into different indications. We have more smaller indications, more cancer, more often drugs than in the beginning of the AMNAC when there were a lot of more chronic diseases. And the pricing in small populations is something different to pricing in, um, in, in, in chronic diseases with a lot of patients. So uh, I think that it's more an artificial trend that drug prices increase, at least to some degree. Um, but um, how can we deal with that? And, and uh, if, if, if we see, look now in, in prices of oncology drugs or annual treatment costs. This was something like in the last century, 10,000 euro. And then it was in the, in the first decade of this century, something like 30,000. And then it came to 50, 100,000. And then we have combination therapies in play for, for first-line treatment, metastatic cancers and something like 200,000. If we have a combination therapy of two PDP1 inhibitors or so. Uh, so there's an increase, and I think um, here in some indications, the uh, AMNOC probably is not strong enough to really have the value-based price. Um, and then I think the, the logical next step is to follow more or less the... Um, um, the ways other countries do, as we mentioned, uh, England, for example, or, or other countries, and to look into the economic value of the drug. This is totally neglected. We The only economic aspect in the AMLOC uh, process is in the benefit assessment that we state, how much does this drug cost in a year? And that's all. And, and that has nothing to do with cost within the healthcare system. This is just drug cost. And the negotiation is only on the drug price. And I think it might be useful to have more economic evaluations in this field uh, to assess the budget impact more so roughly, not to look, well, it costs us so much, but what are savings if we prevent um, hospitalizations, for example? So I think uh, a rough uh, economic um, evaluation to be included, as nearly every other country does, would help to to come to the uh, to to probably more adequate prices um, in the in the future. I think the, the pharmaceutical companies can deal with that. Every company has to do economic evaluations for Sweden, uh, 
England, the Netherlands, uh, and so on. So it's it's easy to to implement this also in, in Germany. But I think it's it's it would be more difficult for the for the system for the payers to to do that, because today only clinical studies are relevant, scientific based clinical studies, and uh, that would mean if we do economic evaluations. Uh, that we have to to work with modelings, for example, and it's, it's difficult. That is a major step into the the kind we deal with data. Um, and I think that would be also good to have modelling, for example, uh, in in aspects or in clinical aspects. So, what does progression-free survival mean in the end for the patient? You can try to model and have at least. A better information base, whether it's true or not, the outcome you never know exactly with a model, but you can have more information. I think that would also help uh, in some some cases um, to to go beyond the very strict clinical study based assessment. Real world data can now be done. Uh, I'm not quite sure. In the beginning, you can't have some. So that would mean we have a further evaluation probably after three years. Um, has to be considered, is this useful in any case or in specific cases? Today, we go into a direction with uh, gene therapy to, to collect data in the field, real-world data, uh, for further assessments. I don't know whether this will become standard. But this can also help to show more than the clinical trials. I think so. The database should be should be broader on the clinical field, but also in the economic uh, aspects. And then the, the process is somewhat strict on the price. I have had a benefit, and then you negotiate a price with the head association of sickness funds, and this price is valid for all patients and all sickness funds in Germany. And um, the price is on a level at which um, companies do not want to give further rebates. So there is no incentive to go to single um, sickness funds and and um, discuss, can we do some more creative financing, uh, like pay for performance schemes that's rarely used. And I think that could be also an option to go further into this direction uh, to um, to have pay for performance and, and kind of rebates within in, in this field. Thomas, thank you very much for your time, for the insights. Um, and let's just see, I think that whole discussion will obviously continue, I think, especially, I mean, after you have as well summarized the further potential improvements, I think there's still a lot of things which could be improved, obviously, as in any process. So let's just see what might potentially happen also after the elections in uh, autumn this year. Thank you very much, Thomas. You're welcome. So various recommendations by especially Professor Hammerschmidt from the different aspects, but not only, let's say, from one direction. So I think it's quite clear what he has also said from a pricing perspective. Firstly, that companies would need to get in contact either directly or indirectly with the GPA, uh, which is important, obviously, to derive the um, added benefit level. But also on top of that, it's also around the pricing of the product finally and the price negotiation, which is then happening after a potential added benefit is then being achieved. 
What does that mean? I mean, I was asking especially also how and in which ways potential cost savings could have been interpreted. I think what Professor Hammerschmidt clearly said was also quite clear um, that there's no proof, there's no evidence simply that prices would be now higher than without the AMLOC. If that's true, I mean, we would not have a randomized controlled evaluation, but that's obviously an important consideration from a payer's but also from a industry perspective. On top of that, it's obviously important to also maybe consider potential changes which might now happen as well towards end of 2022 or maybe just in 2023, where we had already a lot of discussions, not so much as Professor Hammerschmidt brought into the discussion like the health economics component, but let's just see, I mean, the whole kind of budget potential issue is just starting now also in Germany we've seen the depths the kind of issues by the health insurances but currently it's not in the political debate I think what we currently just see is basically a decrease of the time for free pricing potentially from 12 to 6 months there are debates about the mandatory discounts for the prices there are debates around the orphan drug assessment that maybe the threshold is being decreased from 50 to 20 million and a couple of further things would we need to see what might happen now with the new administration that was an episode of map the market access podcast provided by mars market access and pricing strategy which is your healthcare consultancy in the german-speaking markets map is available every second week with a new episode so watch out and in case you might have questions contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de